Clive is on holiday, it's just so that you know where he is. And Joel also is uh, at another church this morning. He's at Abbey Road Baptist Church, helping with the worship there. So it's really cool to um, have guys going out and serving other churches. That's part of what God's called us to do. Uh, last week, I was at St. Austell on Sunday with Helen and Ed and Enshin. We had a great time there. So thank you for praying for us. Uh, the church down there is doing well. And then uh, this midweek, I was in Berlin seeing some friends of ours called Wayne and Renee Neuper. We had a couple of days off there. And uh, if you want to have a beautiful, beautiful time, go to uh, the Spreewald in Germany. There's a forest in Germany just outside of Berlin with canals that you can, you can, canal, you can uh, canoe through. And so we spent about six hours doing that one day and uh, just talking and hanging out. And Wayne is going to be coming through our church now in January, hopefully. Uh, he's doing a lot of work into Eastern Europe, Poland, Russia, and places like that. And uh, we're going to be working with them, training church planters. And uh, he has about 70 guys that he's working with in, uh, that come through to Dresden uh, once a quarter. And he goes to uh, just outside a um, uh, town in, in, in the Ukraine. And we do this training, uh, some theological training, some practical training, helping guys to start churches. And so... Uh, we're going to be involved in January next year with that, with Wayne, and I want to trust that you would just pray for us because we want to see God's kingdom explode, yeah? And the Eastern Europe is really opening up in, in the most amazing way. And so if you'd like to be involved in some of those things, please come and speak to us because we, we would like to uh, take some teams with us. I'm going with Andrew and with Joshua to Romania to see Andy in a couple of weeks' time, which will be great. Remember Andy Wersop? He's been working in Bucharest now for three years. And that's just another thing that God has called us to help with. So all these things are wonderful opportunities to engage with people and help the kingdom of God advance on earth. Amen? Okay, I'm sounding Pente Pentecostal now. So that's nothing. But it's wonderful to have you with us. So thank you for being here this morning. Kids, if you'd like to go up to your rooms, I'm going to preach briefly this morning. I'm not going to preach uh, for very long. And if you are following, please uh, find week four in your manual. Nick, have you got a signal there? Everything cool? Great. So it's always a privilege to share God's Word with you, and um, yeah, like I said, if you're visiting, we, we're busy with this course. It's a nine-week course uh, trying to help us um, recapture some of the passion in our hearts so that we, we, be, we become those that are outward-focused with all of our lives and, and pointing people to Christ. And so we've had um, three weeks now where we've looked at different things, and this morning we're going to look at who are we reaching um, I really kind of, I got up early this morning, I didn't sleep much last night because I only got to bed really late, but I was just thinking about all that happened in London last night, and it's kind of, it's really difficult because on the one hand, I said to Helen, we, we've, the church is gathering this morning all over the world, and we're celebrating Pentecost, we're celebrating um, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in power, when people spoke in tongues, and there was this amazing passion that was released into the early church. And that's what we're joining together to point ourselves back to and to remind ourselves of. That's a wonderful thing that God did in the early church. And yet at the same time, we live in the reality of kind of horrific events. 
that happened last night, and they've been happening more and more regularly. But I love the promise of Acts chapter 1. I want to just read it to you as we think about these things this morning. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When Jesus said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. There's this wonderful mandate that God gives to the church in Matthew. And Matthew is an interesting book because all of the Gospels help us to see Jesus from a different point of view. That's, there's a story in each of the Gospels. And when we read the Gospels, we need to read it with that story. So if you, if you read the Gospel of Mark, you will see that Mark is concerned with the identity of Jesus. He never reveals who Jesus is until right at the end. So if you read the Gospel of Mark, people often ask the question, who is this man? Who's, who's this Jesus? Um, and they, they're trying to find the identity of Christ. And then the, the climactic point of Mark is when the centurion cries out when Jesus is being crucified, surely this man is the Son of God. And that's the first time that Mark shows that Jesus is the Son of God in his Gospel. In Matthew's Gospel, on the, on the other hand, we know that Jesus is the Messiah right from the very beginning. Why? Because if you read the story, there's the gene gene genealogy of Jesus, and it lists all of his, his descendants. And what Matthew is doing is establishing that Jesus was the promised Messiah that Israel had been waiting for. And the story of Matthew as it unfolds, what we see is that Matthew is pointing us to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah and that Israel, the people of God, reject Him. And so... You, the climactic moment in Matthew is, is when, in the, when the, the trial before Pilate, and what do the people cry? They say, let his blood be on our heads and our children's children. Yeah, remember that point in the story? And what is Matthew trying to show us? He's trying to show us that actually, no, Israel has rejected their Messiah. And then in Matthew 28, there's this new commissioning where Jesus speaks to his church, those disciples that he's called, and he says, now I'm calling you. I'm calling you, my church, to go and do what Israel should have been doing, reaching out to the nations of the world. And so I'm saying, you, you will receive power. And when you receive this power, you will be my witness where? In Jerusalem, because you're Jewish. And in Samaria, the ones that you hate. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, the second thing he says, that Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. They'd been fighting for centuries. Jesus says, those that you love, your family, those close to you, I want you to be witnesses to them. And the ones that you don't like. The Samaritans, who are Samaritans in your life? Jesus says, I want you to be a witness to them. And in your local area, and into your surrounding area, and into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's where I want you to be a witness. It's very powerful, isn't it? And so there's this new commissioning that Jesus gives. And then he says, in Acts chapter 1, Luke says, Jesus said, wait until you receive power. Now, we have received that power already. When you get born again, you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But there is the sense that we need that power to consume us once again and to motivate our hearts and to, to expand our vision that we wouldn't shrink back and grow fearful. Nothing good comes from fear. I want to encourage you with that this morning. Remember that. When you're facing sickness in your life or when you're facing a difficult situation, when the country's facing a difficult thing, nothing good comes from fear. Look at history. Nothing good comes from fear. Only love changes people. 
We need God's love to transform us so that we can forgive others with the same forgiveness that we have received. Amen? And so now this is what um, we're going to look at this morning. I've got three very simple things that I'd like you to think about, right? And then we're going to break bread together. We're going to pray for our country. And we're going to trust God to come and to encourage us. Who are we reaching? Uh, how do we see those that we are trying to reach? What shapes our attitude to other people? Because uh, I'm convinced of this, that if we want to share the gospel with other people, we have to know the people that we are trying to share the gospel with. And at the same time as we consider that, I'd like us to think about this. How did Jesus see people? And what shaped his attitude towards others? And can we learn from Jesus in terms of how he saw others so that it helps us reform our own attitudes towards other people. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find I can be quite quick to label people. Do you do that sometimes? Oh, that kind of agnostic, that guy, he's a bit of an agnostic, you know, he's, uh, he's a bit lost, that person. He's, uh, that, you know, the atheists uh, don't have time for people that won't even consider God. Have you ever thought how tough it is to grow up in a culture like ours? where things are changing so fast. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, technology changes very, very fast. Cultural values are changing very, very fast. Have you ever thought how stressful that, stressful that is for people, particularly younger people, to, to have to cope with all of that change, and that change is not stopping. It's getting more and more quick. Those are the kind of people that we are trying to reach. And in all of that change, without labeling anyone, we have to try and reach out and present the living Christ to people. It's not easy. We need the voice of the Spirit helping us, saying, do this, don't do that. And all I'm trying to ask you to consider this morning and ask the Lord to help you do is to start transforming the shape of your heart as I'm asking God to shape my own heart with compassion for people. It's easy to start getting hard-nosed when you don't see what you want to see, when you don't see things change as you would like to see things change, it's easy to harden yourself and to be resistant instead of trusting God that if you open your heart to other people, He's still going to come through and He's going to be there for them. I, I want to ask you to think about this. Do you remember what your life was like before you came to faith? Uh, do you remember? Was it easy? <laughs> I find my life is not easy and simple even after I've walked with Jesus for many years. Life is not easy and simple. Life is complicated. It's full of, of things that are not black and not white. And the, what I'm trying to say is I, as our culture changes so rapidly, to keep perspective and keep rooted and keep yourself focused and keep your heart open, it's not easy. It comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what I'm, what I'm trusting this morning is that God will help us to, to engage with people who are trying to navigate through all of this that don't know Him. Uh, I find it hard to navigate through all of this and I know Him. Can you imagine what it's like for someone trying to navigate through all of this stuff and they've got no reference of faith whatsoever? Can you, can you imagine how alienating that feels, how painful that is? Or have we lost that? Do we kind of sometimes become dismiss people and say, oh, they're never going to get saved. 
They're too far removed from Jesus. I just want to trust that God is going to help us, that we wouldn't be condescending, we wouldn't be apathetic, we wouldn't be frustrated, but really that compassion would begin to shape our hearts so that we can engage with people. Yeah. And so I want to just point you to a wonderful scripture. And this is my first simple point this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, the first six verses say this. As for you, you were dead in your sin and your transgression, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in all those that are disobedient. Listen to Paul's language. All of us, all of us lived as one of them, gratifying the craving of our flesh. Here, when Paul uses the word flesh, he simply means body. Uh, gratifying the cravings of our bodies and following its desire and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. So Paul is saying, let me just make it clear to you, Ephesians, all of you, every single one of you, that includes all of us that are reading this letter, all of us were like that before we came to faith. All of us were living just for our bodies, for our lusts, for our, for our selfishness. We were all living like that. And then the second half, I love this part of this scripture. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sin. It is by grace you have been saved. I love that. All of us were like that. All of us had that evidence in our own life. It's obvious that the fact of our condition was, is obvious before we come to faith. All of us were like that. What I'm trying to say to you this morning, if you remember that you were like that, you don't look down on anybody else. If, that is, if you're continually aware of what your life was like before Christ, when you're trying to reach out to someone that doesn't know Jesus, there's a compassion because you know that was your life before you knew Jesus. Isn't that true? That's certainly true for me. All of us were dead in our sin. All of us were alienated. And all of us lived to satisfy our bodies. All of us were deserving of God's anger. That was the state of all of our lives. But God. Now we, all, we should rise up with an amen in our hearts. But God, because of His rich mercy, reached into our lives and made us alive. He initiated everything. What amazing grace. We sang about it this morning. So my point is, do we see the potential of that grace being extended to those that we love, our friends, our family? those that we find difficult? Or do we kind of just say, oh, no, they're never going to come to faith? You know, it's, we're kind of saying, oh, God's grace touched me, but it's never going to touch them. <laughs> and what I'm saying is if we do that, we, we kind of see others in a way that God didn't see us. God, God didn't see us like that. He said, Ant, you're worth it. I'm going to reach out into your life. Matt, you're worth it. I'm going to reach out into your life. Leslie, I'm going to change you. Because I love you. Do we see other people like that? Second scripture I'd like to share with you. I said I've got three things, and I am being very brief this morning. Romans 1. Romans 1 clearly shows what our lost state looks like before we know Christ. It says this, The wrath of God 
is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what was known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, in other words, from creation, so that people without excuse. For although they know God, they neither glorified Him nor gave thanks to Him, but in their thinking they became futile and foolish. Their foolish hearts were darkened, and although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images made to look like human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. So what is Paul saying here when he writes to the Romans? He says, well, this, this state of what it looks like uh, before you know Christ is, is very obvious. Uh, it's expressed in a life that suppresses the truth about God. And then it's expressed in a life that worships other things, that become idols in our lives. In, in the place that God really should be sitting in our hearts, there are, there are idols. And if we look at our society, some of those things are obvious. Money, sex, power, pleasure, all these things are idols. They're not bad in themselves, but they become idols. Where, where God should be reigning in our hearts, those things begin to reign. And Paul says, actually, that's just evidence of a fallen state. You suppress the truth about God, and then when you should be worshiping God, there are other things that take His place. This is just evidence of how our lives look like without Christ. And so I want to ask you this morning another question. When we think of people that we're trying to reach out to, do we think of them firstly as being separated from Christ and needing His love to touch their hearts? Or do we just look at the outward behavior and say, oh, I wish they would change their outward behavior? I put it to you this morning that outward behavior that we can see easily is an expression of an inward disconnection with God, isn't it? There's a disconnect. So because there's a dis disconnection and people don't know the love of God, they choose to live their lives in a certain way. And the outward behaviors are obvious. We can see the outward behaviors. Are we primarily concerned with the fact that people are disconnected from Jesus? Or are we more concerned about their outward behavior? I want to put it to you this morning that Jesus knew these things. And look at Jesus' response. Matthew 9, verse 35 says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching people in the synagogue, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease, every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because he, he saw they were harassed, they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Do you notice how Jesus reacts with this com incredible compassion? He sees the needs of the crowds. He sees they're harassed. He sees they need to, healing. He, he does all these things. He, he kind of reaches out. He does what he can. And at the same time, he's motivated with this deep, deep compassion because he sees their deeper need that actually they are just like sheep. They don't know what to do. They're wandering around. They are, they are harassed, buffeted by stuff in their lives. They don't know how to, to change that stuff. And he's motivated by compassion, and that's why he reaches out to them. 
I trust that the Holy Spirit will do that same work in our lives. That we, when we see people that are harassed and helpless, that are flailing about, that are making bad choices, that are, that are doing stuff that is obviously not pleasing to God, we wouldn't look so much at the stuff, but we try to help them engage and get connected to Jesus. When they're connected to Jesus, all the outside stuff begins to change. We live from the inside out, not from the outside in. My friends, I've said this so many times. If you try and change people's behavior, uh, that's legalism. Nothing good comes from legalism. If you try and force people to change the outward behavior, they'll turn into a robot and just say, yes, sir, no, sir. But I've seen more people turn into robots, I mean uh, rebels, and they say, no, I'm not going to do that. You tell me, I'm not going to do that at all. What needs to change is our hearts. When our hearts have changed, the outward stuff changes automatically. When we love Jesus with all of our hearts, the outside stuff begins to change. Let's help people to get connected in the heart by reaching out with compassion, just as Jesus did. Do you notice there's a hunger in people that can't be satisfied just by created things? Uh, I, I know many people that have had great careers, made lots of money. When I speak to them, there's still the sense of loss in their life. There's something they can't put their finger on. There's dissatisfaction. There's longing for something more that hasn't been satisfied by the material things that they have abundance of. I love what Tim Keller says. You know, we all talk about a God-shaped hole in our lives. Keller says this. He says, a God-shaped hole can only be filled by God. Isn't that true? We can try and force all sorts of other things in there. Money, sex, power, career, lots of affirmation, whatever it is, fame. Try and put it in the God-shaped hole. The only thing that shapes, fills the God-shaped hole is God himself. That's why our hearts need to be changed and transformed. Do you notice also in this portion that um, there's a sense of unease and disquiet which hurts people? You know, as I was looking out over the guys that... Um, that, that Matt, the guys were playing to last night. You, you can see people are hurting. You can see there's a sense that they know they're disconnected. They, 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 you can see there's a sense that people are carrying guilt for, for, for different things in their lives. It's obvious, and that's painful for people. And when people are filled with pain, they lash out and react, and, and, and pain produces that. And people can't take that pain away for themselves. I'm trying to say only Jesus takes that pain. Only Jesus can take that away and give peace where there's been pain. And so, do you notice that Jesus knows all of that stuff and he sees these people and what is his response? His response is a prayer. Do you notice that? Jesus' response is a prayer. I want to ask you, as I ask myself, when we're thinking of people that we're really trusting for, is our response first a prayer? <laughs> or is our response like, why don't they change? Can't they see? Are you with me? Jesus' response was a prayer. And what was his prayer? His prayer was saying, Father, send out workers. Do you, do you think he was saying to send out anyone? I don't think so. I think he was saying, send out workers who have the same compassion and love that I carry for these people. Send out those kind of people into the harvest field so that we can see people saved. That, I think that's what Jesus was saying. Not workers that are going to go, Turn or burn. Why don't you change? 
that don't embody forgiveness, but only embody legalism. Who's going to want to change into that? No, come on. That's not the way of Jesus, is it? Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out. Am I saying we excuse bad behavior? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying if we want the behavior to change, let's look to the heart that needs to change. And when the heart is changed by the power and the love of Christ, everything else changes. That's what we're called to preach. One final scripture, and then we're going to break bread together. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. I, in one way, when I read the scripture, I don't like it. In another way, I love it. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because l- listen to what it says. Paul, again, writing to the Corinthian church, right? And the Corinthian culture was a pagan culture. We know from archaeology that there were, there were and, and from, the, from the book of Acts, that in, in Corinth there were temples to uh, Apollos and Aphrodite and all these kind of pagan gods in, in, in the culture. And Paul writes into this pagan culture, these people that have been saved, these Gentiles that have been saved out of that culture, and he says this, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul's very blunt. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolatrous or adulterers or men who engage in homosexual acts or thieves or greedy or drunkards or slanderers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul, very blunt, eh? Where he just lists a whole lot of things. And when I read that, I'm like, oh, God, where's the good news? And here's the good news. Because in verse 11, he says, and that is just exactly, some of you were exactly like that. You were swindlers. You were liars. You were sexually immoral. You, you were idolaters. You, you, you were all of that stuff, slanderers. You were all, all of, some of you in the church, you were like that, but you were washed. Come on, yes, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Paul recognizes bad behavior, and he says to the Corinthian church, some of you were exactly like that, but God transformed your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's hope for anyone, everyone. Man, I love the grace of God. That's the heart of what Paul is saying. And the heart of what our gospel must be is that there's no room for feelings in our lives of superiority over other people. None. If we truly understand the grace of God in our lives, there's no room for superiority over Because we know at the end of the day, we were dirty, rotten scoundrels. T-Bone Burnett has a song that says, There's a criminal under my own hat. He's recognizing uh, the state of his heart. He's recognizing, I am a criminal. I am a dirty, rotten scoundrel. And I said to our life group, when we, if, unless we understand that, we never, we, we never really truly understand the grace of God because we always think that God is actually quite fortunate to have me. Isn't it? No, all of us. That's why I started with that other scripture. All of you were like that. And whether we miss the mark by a little bit or we miss the mark by a whole lot, we're still missing the mark. That's what Paul's saying. Don't forget what your life was like. You were like that. But God, but God, but God, but God. Jesus came, washed you, saved you, sanctified you, and poured out His Spirit upon you. 
And so what I'm trying to say to you, my friends, as I finish with this, as we try and reach out to others, remember, you still need the gospel. I still need the gospel. I needed the gospel then. I still need it now. What did Luther say? Beat the gospel into your own head every single day before you try and get it into anybody else's head. Remind yourself of your own need of Jesus, your own need of His forgiveness, your own need of His grace daily to love your wife, to raise your kids, to be a good employee. You need the grace of God to do all of those things. Remind yourself every day of your own need of God's grace. Why? Because if you do, you will be happy to extend that grace to other people. With the same lavishness that God has lavished on your life, you'll lavish it on others. All of us are saved by grace through faith alone. And it doesn't matter who we were. It doesn't matter what we did before. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. I want you to remember that as you reach out to your friends and your family. Those that are the workplace this week that don't know Jesus. It's possible for anyone to come to Christ. Why? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Like you. And Jesus wants to do that for many others. Let grace transform our hearts. Let compassion begin to shape our hearts as we reach out to others. Well, if that sounds too good to you, if you sounds like that, you say that news is too, just too good to be true, that's why it is called the good news. <laughs> that's why it's called the gospel. It's a message speaking of what we cannot do for ourselves, but is a free gift because of God's great love to us. Amen.